Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Come on, a little bit better. You know I'm a student pastor, so i got to get you excited today. How are we doing this morning? There we go. All right. Well, hey, my name is Ryan, and I'm the student pastor here at BC, which means that I have the incredible privilege of working on the team that makes Paramount, our student ministry, happen. And, man, we are seeing God do such amazing things throughout the entire young world, and I am just so excited to be a part of that team. Today, I get the opportunity to continue on in our series, Kind of a Big Deal, and I'm going to be talking about how the next generation is kind of a big deal. And, you know, when you think about generations that are to come, oftentimes we feel like we always had it a little bit harder, right? Like, can we always say that, ah, man, I had, my generation had things a little bit tougher. And this is why you hear stories about how you had to walk to school uh, barefoot, uphill, both ways in the snow, being chased by a pack of ravenous wolves, and only the strong made it to school. Um, (laughs) You know, and sometimes I would hear my parents talk about life, you know, before I was born, and they're like, yeah, there was a time where there wasn't microwaves. And I was like, what? I would never want to live in a world without microwaves. Um, I wouldn't be able to function, okay? And so I've started to notice that my generation, kids who were born in the 90s, we've started to do this very thing, but we've started to do it through a hashtag. And if you're not familiar with a hashtag, that's the pound symbol. And it has words after it, and there's no spacing. English teachers hate it, but that's the hashtag. And so it's this hashtag, kids today, will never know. And it's this hashtag that explains, hey, kids that are being raised right now, that are born right now, they will never know some of the struggles that we faced as 90s children. So I thought I would show us a few of the things that kids today will never know. First, kids today will never know the struggle of dial-up internet. (laughs) Because when you're instant messaging your friends on AOL Instant Messenger as Sports Nerd 97, and someone calls your mom, you get kicked off the internet, and it's, oh, it's so annoying. Are you kidding me? I was totally spitting game right there. And then, so you're just like, man, the struggle is so real. Uh, Kids today will never know what it's like to have to go to Blockbuster. Um, See, because if you think it's hard to find a movie on Netflix, wait till you had to go in the store. You actually had to get out of your house, go to the store. Then once you got to the store, you had to look around and some of the videos didn't actually have the pictures on them, so you had to read what was on there. And here's the deal. If you got a movie you didn't like, you were stuck with it because you weren't going to go back to the store. So you had to be kind, rewind, and send it back eventually. You know, So that was the struggle of Blockbuster. Now, the third thing that kids today will never know about is life before Google. See, because when I was in elementary school, I had to do a book report on Belarus. And here's the thing about Belarus is that it is a country, I'm not even sure where it's at today, and I still did that report, but I had to go to the Britannica Encyclopedia, Volume 27, and hope that there was more than a paragraph on that, okay? So kids today, man, they could just type something in Google, and within milliseconds, they have millions of results. Uh, Kids today will never know what it's like to have to make your pictures work for you a little bit because sometimes you had to shake it like a Polaroid picture, you know, and let me just tell you, the selfie game is way harder when you have to try and figure out how to do this. In fact, that's why we didn't take selfies because we couldn't. It was just impossible. So kids today, they just will never know some of the struggles we faced as 90s children, and I got to be honest, as I look at this, I think it's kind of ridiculous, but I also think it's really funny because sometimes we'll see fifth and sixth graders talking about kids today will never know. And I'm looking at that, I'm like, you are a kid. You don't even know what you don't know, right? So we all have this tendency to think that our generation had it figured out a little bit better, that we had things a little bit tougher, but we kind of know a little bit more than the next generation. But 
today, I really believe that the next generation is a big deal to God. And if it's a big deal to God, it needs to be a big deal to us. And so today, I'm so excited as we talk about the next generation is kind of a big deal. We're going to start today with a story of a king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah ruled in the country of Judah in about 700 BC. And Hezekiah was this incredible ruler. He came from the country that David um, was king over, and many of the kings that came before Hezekiah, they had fallen away from God, and where God had given them commands, they had disobeyed, and they had not been faithful to God, but they would serve false gods, and they would serve false idols, and Hezekiah was someone who actually served God. He did so incredibly in his relationship with God that it describes that he was a man who was faithful to God, who carefully obeyed God. We're going to take a look at 2 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to see what kind of man Hezekiah was. In verse 5, it says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything, and he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord was with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. Man, as I look at my life and my relationship with God, and as we look at our lives, if we're pursuing God, isn't that what we want to be written about us? Like, you think about your legacy, you think about your time here on earth, wouldn't it be kind of cool to say, that's me? I'm someone who was faithful to God all my life. I wasn't someone who was careful to obey God's commands, and God is with me, so I'm successful in everything I do. Hezekiah had this incredible relationship with God that I think many of us would aspire to have, and yet Hezekiah, I want to show us that he had a certain attitude in his heart toward the next generation, and I believe that it cost Israel and Judah uh, a time away from God. In fact, it caused the entire nation to turn from God. And so later on in Hezekiah's life, he grows sick, and um, one of the neighboring countries, Babylon, sends a couple of envoys with gifts and well wishes, and Hezekiah is so blown away by this that he, he shows them around his entire kingdom, and he, he shows them all of his treasuries and all his armories and um, all of the things that he had built up and built over this time that he had been king. And as they're leaving, Isaiah the prophet comes to Hezekiah and he says, hey, I just want you to know something, and you're not going to like it, but that same country that you just showed everything to, the Babylonians, there's going to be a day where they take everything you just showed them. They're going to take all of your treasures. They're going to take all of your palace, your entire kingdom. Your sons and your daughters will serve their king. And this is pretty bad news, right? Like if we heard that, everything that I have built, everything that I have helped build in this country is going to be taken away, most of us would get pretty depressed. But Hezekiah responds just a little bit differently, and I believe this shows us something about his heart. So in chapter 20, Hezekiah says this, This message you have given me from the Lord is good. So you're saying, I'm going to lose everything I worked so hard to achieve, all of the things that I've built in this country, I'm going to lose, but that's good news? How could that be? It, it reveals his heart right here. It says, For the king was thinking, at least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. I want us to think about something for a second. Hezekiah is translating this to basically this. <laughs> Better you than me. He's saying, hey, I'm really sorry to hear that people are going to come and they're going to take everything that we've worked so hard to build, but I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not going to be alive. <laughs> so good luck. And Hezekiah has this indifference toward the next generation. He has an apathy toward the next generation. Fast forward and Hezekiah dies. His son Manasseh takes over. And instead of following in the ways of his father who obeyed God so faithfully, 
Manasseh turns away from God. He rebuilds these altars to idols and false gods that Hezekiah himself had torn down. And he leads an entire generation away from God. And here's what I believe. I believe that Hezekiah's apathy and indifference toward the next generation was what caused an entire generation to walk away from God. And here's where this applies to us. I believe apathy toward the next generation will cause a lost generation. Apathy toward the next generation will cause a lost generation. See, because as a church, we're seeing things we've never seen before. As we exist to see the city connected with God, we are seeing that happen. We are seeing baptisms in the hundreds and salvations in the thousands on the yearly. And it is so exciting to be a part of what God is doing in this city. But I truly believe that if we are indifferent or if we are apathetic toward the generation that is to come, then they may never experience the same God who has changed us so dramatically, so radically. And I want to get a little bit personal for a sec. I want to get up in your business a little bit here. Because I believe some of you have worked so hard in your life to be faithful to God. You've been very careful to obey all of his commands. God's been with you. He's made you successful in everything you've done. But your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, your kids in your neighborhood or in your development, if you do not pass the baton, they may never experience God in the same way you have. God may never get the chance to radically change their life as a young person. You know, I was walking through JCPenney just the other day, and I saw this sign of this girl named Allison Felix. And Allison Felix actually went to my high school, and she was the second best athlete there uh, because I was the first best. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> and, uh, and Allison is this amazing Olympian, okay? So she runs the 200, the 400. She runs the one by four or, yeah, all that stuff, the relays. And she's been in the Olympics since 2004. She's going to be in again this year in 2016. Um, really exciting. She's a gold medalist, a silver medalist, a everything else kind of medalist, okay? Allison Felix is legit. And one of the things I love is I love watching these relays. In the Olympics next year, they're going to be running the relays. And how many of you know that the per first person could start the race so fast? They could set a record-setting time in the first leg of the race but if they got to the person and they saw them stick their hand out like this and they start running and they're like, eh, I don't feel like handing it off. How many of you know we all lose the race? They all lose. No matter how fast that one person runs, if they don't make the handoff, everyone loses. And I truly believe as a church, we can run as hard as we can to see a city connect with God. Man, we can love God with all of our hearts and, and just invite and, man, be a light to this community. But if we don't make the handoff to the next generation, I believe we will never see the fulfillment of what God has put in the heart of this church. The handoff is huge. And so as I look at this, guys, I just think, man, can God do things in spite of us? Yeah. Some of you probably have stories about how later in life you came to know Jesus and it was radical and it changed you forever. But how many of us wish we would have gotten a hold of it a little bit younger? How many of us wish that we could have avoided some of the pain in relationships or some of the addictions that we formed or some of the things that tore our lives apart if we would have known the same Jesus we know now when we were younger. Guys, this generation is not figuring it out on its own. As someone who works with young people on a weekly basis, I just want to let you know that because of technology and advancement, there are pressures they are facing that you never had to face in high school. There are things that they are experiencing in middle school that would blow your mind, in elementary school that you wouldn't even think existed. I want to let you know that they are being constantly pressured from this culture and this world. 
And so it keeps seeming to get darker and darker. But can I tell you why I have hope? Because the church. See, because about 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I'm going to build a church, and the gates of hell, no matter how hard they try, will never be able to prevail against this church. And I want to tell you something. Jesus commissioned the church to be the light of the world. And in the darkest places, when it seems to keep getting darker and darker, God has made a church that is going to keep getting brighter and lighter. And I believe that God has made a time coming, that there is something that's going to be happening, an awakening that we are on the verge of, that we are going to see our schools and our city transformed in a way we've never seen it before. But it's only going to happen if we empower the next generation, if we have a burden for the next generation, if we have a passion to see the next generation connected with God. At Paramount, a few months ago, we started this vision and this goal, and that was to see 300 that can change at 330. We truly believe that God is saying, hey, if I can build an army of 300 students, that we can truly make a difference in this community. Man, in our schools, they would never be the same. And so that's what we're shooting for. Man, we're going for it hard, and we're seeing salvations time and time again. And we're seeing people's lives transformed. We believe God is doing something in this community. And so here's where it comes to you, and here's where it comes to me. It's very nice to spectate in all of this. It's very nice to say, oh, that's very good. But I believe God is calling all of us to get in the game. If any of you have ever played competitive sports or anything like that, you know that every time you go up a level, the competition gets a little more intense. And it gets a little bit faster, and the concepts keep moving a little bit quicker. And I had the opportunity to play baseball in college, and it was one of the five most fun years of my life. And uh, it was just truly a great experience. But I'll never forget, as a freshman, I just felt so overwhelmed. You know, everything was moving at a million miles a minute, and everything just seemed so crazy, and I had no clue. But actually, I found a very valuable role in that time, and that was that I kept our bench incredibly warm. <laughs> no, don't laugh, don't laugh. Here, think about it this way. Um, in California, the field had plenty of sunshine, and there was plenty of warmth on the field, but the dugout actually produced m much shade, and so our, our bench never got any of the warmth. And so I actually provided that for our bench. And so I just did a very valuable thing for our team, and it was incredible. And, um, you know, throughout that process, I would just spectate, and I would just be on the fence just cheering on my team, saying, yeah, go guys. But, you know, there's not much investment that you have in the game. And I'll never forget one of my first games of my freshman year. I was leaning on that fence, and then I heard, Cathers, third base. And in that moment, I started to think, oh my gosh, uh, how many outs are there? What's the score? Where's third base? Uh, where am I? I don't, I don't even know. And so I'm rattling through all of these different things in my mind, and then all of a sudden it hit me. No, literally, I ran into a pole in the dugout. <laughs> and uh, I was just so rattled, and I'm like, oh, shake yourself off, right? And I go, and I pick up my glove and my hat, and I run out to third base, and I'm just completely overwhelmed. But let me just tell you this. There's a difference from being a spectator and being in the game. There's something on the line when you're in the game. There's something that matters to you when you're in the game. And I believe that wherever you're sitting tonight, or this morning, that God has called you to get in the game. Because I know today as I talk that there's many people in different seasons of life. Some of you are young people, and you're in you know, college, or you're just about to go into middle school, and some of you, that's a very distant memory. And there's some of us that we have kids or grandkids or we're empty nesters. And I want to let you know that there is a way you can get in the game. There is a way that you can just refuse to be apathetic toward the next generation. 
And so here's what I believe. I believe there's some ways we can do this. And the first way is we need to have a burden for people in the next generation, for young people. We need to have a burden. We need to have a passion that says, hey, I'm not going to go out of this world just keeping everything I know to myself. And the only way that we'll get that burden is in prayer. Man, I think in this room, I know how many of you are actively praying and actively just seeking God for your kids and for your grandkids. And I want you to know, keep it up. And if you're not in, in that attitude of prayer, God needs your prayers because I know so many lives have been changed by prayers that have been prayed by parents and grandparents and uncles and, you know, everybody under the sun. Guys, we need to start praying. We, start, we need to start developing a heart for the next generation. But here's the crazy thing. Here's what starts to get a little bit scary. When you start praying, God might actually ask you to be the answer to prayer. See, because you're going to start to pray for the kids in your neighborhood that they'd come to know Jesus, and then you might start to think, well, wait, what if I invited them to Paramount or to Super Kids? And what if I didn't just invite them, but what if I offered to give them a ride? And what if I didn't just offer to give them a ride, but I said, hey, anybody you want to invite, I'll give them a ride. And as many trips as I need to take, I will get you there, and I will get your friends there. Man, some of us, we have this amazing passion for God, and we have passion for people, but sometimes we need to get in the game a little bit differently. Some of you, you love kids. You love students. You think about how someone impacted you in your life at that time, or you think about how you wish you would have had someone in your life. It's time for you to start volunteering. Man, from Kids for God to Super Kids to Paramount, these are leaders and volunteers who are actively mentoring and impacting students' lives and kids' lives. They are seeing cities change one by one. Guys, for some of us, we need to stop sitting on the sideline. We need to get in the game. And here's what's so cool. We're seeing amazing things happen in this young world. I cannot tell you how awesome it is to see kids coming up from super kids who went through Kids for God and Super Kids, and they come into Paramount as sixth graders, and they are so passionate about God before they ever hit middle school. It's incredible. They're leading the way with our seniors and our juniors because I'm seeing the passion they have just from people investing in them when they were in fifth grade and fourth grade. Man, we are seeing high schoolers who are starting prayer groups at their school. Nobody's making them do this. Nobody's saying, hey, you have to do this to be more spiritual. They're refusing to see their school as a prison from 8 to 2.30, and they instead are seeing it as a mission field. They're saying, God, what can you use me to do? And if we all carried that attitude, if we all said, God, what can you use me to do? How can I be an impact on the next generation? I truly believe that some of the dreams and visions we have as a church, we would see come to pass. You know, Acts 2, it says this, in verse 17, it says, In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Guys, as a church, God has put a vision very distinctly inside of our heart to see a city connected with him. And now as we move to multiple cities, to see multiple cities connected with him. But some of these dreams we have, we may not be alive to see them come to pass. It is all about whether we can make the handoff. It's all about, hey, if we get in the game and start inspiring and caring and having a passion for the next generation, God will see this come to pass in our lifetime or outside of our lifetime, either way. So guys, Pastor Joe, he's going to share a few more ways that you can get in the game throughout this time. Great job, man. That was awesome. Can we give it up one more time for 
for Ryan. It's very good. Thank you so much. I want to talk about, close this up, talk about Elijah and Elisha. And uh, you can read about them in our Old Testament. And uh, they were a generation apart. Elijah was uh, older. He mentored Elisha. And uh, he taught him everything he knew. They were what you would call super prophets in the Old Testament. These are guys that raised the dead. They did miracle after miracle after miracle. It's really fun to read about them. And Elijah knew he was going to leave the earth. He actually didn't die. Think about that. Uh, God brought a chariot of fire down and took him up to heaven. He's one of two people in the Bible that didn't die. Enoch was the other one. Enoch loved God, and God just came and took him up to heaven. Most scholars think that Elijah and Enoch will be the two witnesses in the book of Revelations. They're the two witnesses slash prophets that will come to the earth when the church is taken up to heaven. And they will, they will literally preach about Jesus, and he's the only way to heaven, for three and a half years. The Antichrist and all these people on earth will want to kill him. They'll, they'll shoot him with weapons and bombs, and nothing kills him. And the Bible says anyone that tries to kill him, fire comes out of their mouth and kills them. It's going to be an incredible time. God really wants people to accept Christ, so he's going to do this really supernatural thing. Well, that's who Elijah is. He's incredible. And he looked at Elisha, said, I'm going to be going, and I'm leaving you. And he asked him a question, and I believe that's the question all of us want to ask ourselves. Listen to this question, 2 Kings 2.9. When they, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? That's an incredible question. That's the older generation asking the next generation, and that's what this lesson's all about. When I listened to Ryan last night and then again this morning, and I heard the words that he crafted and he created, I sat with a smile because I thought, we have, we have incredible leaders in our young world doing incredible things, reaching the next generation, and that's really, really important. And he inspired me to ask the question, you know, can I pray more for the next generation? Um, can, I, can I give more people rides? What can I do to get more people into church? And I think that's absolutely incredible. And if you're visiting today or you haven't been here for the last two weeks, this is a vision series. So in lesson one, I casted vision on this city's kind of a big deal. We talked about the number one thing in the heart of God. What's the biggest deal to God? It's for people to meet Jesus and come into the kingdom. Last week, we talked about the second most important thing to God, which is making disciples. And it's, it's not the heart of God for us just to accept Jesus. He wants us to follow him and become a disciple. This week, you just heard it, the next generation. That's vision. That's what we are about as a church. That's what we live for. And as a church, in our vision right now, we're in the middle. It's a two-year program called the 210 Initiative. We're right in the middle of it. And our goal in the 210 Initiative is to raise finances. One, to launch a campus, to do all kinds of other things. But the most and the biggest part of the money is going to go to restore the student and children's side of our building. And if you were to ask me, Pastor Joe, what can I do for the next generation? I would say, hey, everything Ryan said. And then I would ask you to get in the game. I like that, get in the game and help us financially. And many of you have, so thank you for that. And I'm going to talk just a few minutes about that as I close up because just as Moses had to raise money to build 
the tabernacle for God. Just as the apostle Paul had to raise money over and over. And when you read the New Testament, St. Paul had to raise money. And churches have to raise money. So if you're here today and you're visiting, I want you to know this up front, okay? I'm not asking you for any money. I want you to know uh, we're not after your money. But I do want you to sit there with this in mind, okay? The reason we're raising money is for people like you, people that haven't visited, people that will visit. I'm thinking about parents who have children who are going to walk into that side of the building, which is so old, and it, it needs redone. I'm thinking of those people that will come. For you and I, we, we, lo- we know and we love all the leaders, and we know our kids are getting something incredible, but a first-time visitor looks through different eyes, and we need to restore. We also need to restore so in the next 10 years, that place is able to do what God's called it to do. In the next 20 years, that side of the building's able to do what God's called it to do. So we came up with the 210 initiative. Our goal in 2015 and 2016, two years, is to raise $6 million. So you can see behind me, we've hit the $5 million mark, which is really, really exciting. And this $5 million is in pledges and expected giving. And we're really, really excited about it. But you can see over the next year, and we still have some of this year left, and I know some of you will give money before this year's over too, but we have one more year to raise a million dollars, and I am confident, without a doubt, that we can do it, guys. I'm very, very confident of it, but if you were to ask me, uh, Pastor Joe, how do we do that? How do we raise it? I, I, would, I would say to you, everybody just getting in the game. So when you give here, we did what's called a one fund, and one fund just stands for every, everything you give goes into one fund. Then it filters into three areas. You see those areas behind me. And this is what churches all over the country are doing now to raise money uh, to restore uh, and, 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 and do remodels and things like we're doing. And I like it. Here's why I like it. Instead of just having your general fund and then doing a building fund, you're training all of us, myself included, just to be generous and, and be generous to the general fund. And everybody that is generous, we're just asking them, take it up to the next level. And I think it's been an incredible growing period for each and every one of us here at Believers. I love what we're doing. So you can see where the money goes, running the building, talked about that for two weeks, all of our outreaches, incredible outreaches, launching our first campus, missions and all those things. That's the middle of the screen. And then the renovation. And that's $1,350,000. So you can see that that's where the bulk of the money will go outside of the general fund. And again, if you're here and you're part of Believers, if I can get you to get into the game for 2016, I'm convinced we'll hit our $6 million goal. So <clears throat> let me just show you how we can raise the $6 million, guys. This is, this is how we can raise it. And... Uh, the way we can raise this $6 million is everybody that's pledged, just fulfilling their pledge, which you guys are doing, and thank you for it. Gene and I are going to fulfill our pledge too. And then we just need people of, of means. We're going to need a few people to give bigger amounts and some bigger donations. And you know who you are, and it's between you and God, and I'm confident in our God for that. And then we need 210 uh, new people jumping into the game. And if I can get 210 of you to jump in, we'll reach our goal. So if you're here and you're asking me, um, how can I jump in? What can I do in order to jump in? It's, it's really simple, guys. And while, while I'm talking to you about that, guys, roll those pictures that I skipped over by mistake. 
Go ahead and roll those pictures. If you might have rolled some of them while I was talking, but th this is just pictures of uh, the student side of the building. And, and I just want to say to you, there's structural things that need redone. There's classrooms where we have to knock whole windows out, put new windows in, take ceilings out, redo floors, redo bathrooms, and then you have your sound systems and your lighting, all those things. Guys, did you hear how great the student band sounded? They're incredible. But when they're back there, the sound system's so bad, they don't sound that good. And, and music's really important to that generation. So all those things need to be redone, and, and it's just important that you understand it. But if you're here, say, what can I do? What can I do? Listen, maybe you're newer here and you haven't even begun to give consistently. If you give consistently, if you just say, you know what, beginning in 2016, I'm going to give every month. I'm going to give this amount, whatever, 5%, wherever you're at, I'm going to give this amount uh, to God. If you begin to give consistently, we're going to reach our goal. Just, just ask God, where can I jump in? Pray about where you can jump in. And for those of you that are giving, maybe you say, man, I know I can do better. Just ask yourself, how can I take it up? And if all of us take it up a notch, now all of you that have given and pledged to 210, thank you. Now, I'm not asking you to give any more. Uh, but for those that haven't jumped in, if I can get 210 of you to jump in, I guarantee you we'll reach our goal. So here's what I'm asking you. Uh, we have one week. Next week is going to be our pledge weekend. And if you can't be here next week, uh, you can surely bring it in the week after or the week after, the next time you're in church. But you're going to have the opportunity this week to pray, and I know many of you have already been praying for the last couple weeks, and just ask God, what can I do? What's my part? What can I play? And here's what we need. We just need everybody to jump in. And here's something that I think is really important. If you're here and you're on a fixed income, I just want to encourage you. It's not the amount, guys. If you can only give five bucks a month, don't let the enemy steal that from you. Jump in. And for all of us, ask the question, Lord, what can I honestly give? Can I sacrifice something for the next year? Can I give something, Father, that's really big for me? Can I stretch myself a little? Because I'm convinced if you stretch yourself, God's going to do incredible things in your life. And I'll share a couple stories next week. So here's what's going to happen next week. Just want to point out to you, uh, on, on your seats, we have these pledge cards just for you to look at. And those of you that have pledged, but just take it out and just look at it for a moment. You can see the front side, how simple it is. And, and uh, just take a look at it. And while you're doing that, I want to tell you what's going to happen next week. Next week, we're going to have a House for the Heart uh, offering, and we're going to have the pledges turned in. So I'm believing for 210 of you to turn a pledge in next week. And uh, here's what Heart for the House offering is. Gina and I are going to give to that. Look at it as a Christmas offering to Jesus. That's, that's what it is. It's Heart for the House. And you're saying, you know what, I love my church. Gina and I are going to ask ourselves this question. We gave big to 210, but we're going to ask... Can we throw something in that offering to give 210 a boost? And so just prayerfully ask yourself, what can I throw in to give 210 a boost? And next week, what will happen, I'm, I have an incredible message. The message I preach next week, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. You guys know I'm not an exaggerator. It changed my life putting the notes together. My life has been changed. It opened my eyes up to some things that have changed me forever. So I want to encourage you to be here. For, for some reason, you can't listen to it online, listen to it on your app. Uh, it, it will change your life. But next week at the end of service, we're just going to have a God time. You'll stay in your seat. And if you brought your pledge card or if you forgot, you, we'll have other ones. We just put that in, guys. And then 
uh, you can uh, put your offering in if you had brought an offering. And we're just going to do a worship song at the end and just pass the buckets. It's going to be an incredible time. So here's what I need you to do this week, okay? I need you to just take a moment, because this isn't about me. I'm not going to know what you gave. I don't know what anybody gives here. I don't want to know. It's not about me, but it's about you and God. And just say, God, what can I do? What can I give? And then you just work on that between you and God. Like Ryan said, just have a heart. Say, Lord, I, I just want to know. And then let God, he might surprise you. But here's what I notice when God surprises me. He blesses me way more than I ever thought. He surprises me so I can do something that will allow him to bless me at a higher level. So I want to pray right now. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for what Ryan ministered. It was life-changing. Lord, thank you for this precious time for us as a church where, Lord, you get to deal with our hearts in the most important place, our money. And, Lord, we thank you for this next generation. We thank you for an opportunity to give to it. And, Lord, here's our prayer. It's a simple prayer, Lord. Show us what our part can be. And, Lord, don't allow us to be the person that says everybody else will take care of it. Lord, we want to jump in to the game. Deal with our hearts on where we can jump in. And as you're sitting in your seats, if you say, I can agree with that, Pastor Joe. Just say, Lord, that's me. I want it. Just whisper that to the Lord. Now, he eyes are closed, heads are bowed. Listen, listen very carefully. You know, we're in the middle of a campaign, so we have to talk about money. But I also want to take you back to what Ryan taught. This is really important. I want, to, I want you to ask yourself, am I praying for the next generation or am I complaining about them? Which, which are you doing? And I want you to just make a commitment to God right now. I'm going to begin to pray for that generation, God. And I want you to ask yourself the question, uh, do you have some relatives that maybe you can invite to church, some kids, students, children, maybe some of your relatives or maybe, maybe some kids in the neighborhood and just ask God, Lord, what can I do? Maybe there's some of you here, you say, Pastor Joe, God's been dealing with me for a long time to volunteer. Well, this is a weekend you can sign up and you can volunteer. Just ask God, what can I do? Because when it's all said and done, we're living for eternity. And what we do for the kingdom of God now rewards us for all of eternity. In this life, as we know, if you're my age or older, you know, this life is moving quick, and we're just a vapor of smoke. Just ask yourself, what can I do for eternity? How can I help this next generation, Lord? Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You know, maybe you're visiting this morning, and this is a great weekend for you to be here because, again, I'm not asking you for any money, but I do want to ask you the most important question in all the universe. There's no more important question to be asked than what I'm about to ask you. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're praying, guys. Here's my question. What have you done with Jesus? That's the question of our generation. What have you done with Jesus? Jesus said that whoever calls on his name, he'll save them. What does that mean? Listen very carefully. I'm not asking you to join our church. 
I'm not asking you if you're a member of a church, if you grew up in a Christian church. I'm not asking you if you're water baptized as a baby or an adult. All important things. What I'm asking you is, can you remember a day when you said, Jesus, I believe in you and I'm going to follow you. And if you can't, I, I believe today's your day. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm asking you, are you ready to say, Jesus, I believe you're the Savior. I'm going to accept you. And if you're here and you say, that's me, would you pray with me right now? Everyone else in the room, would you help them pray? Just say this after me. Say, Lord God, I love you, and I realize I'm a sinner. I repent for all my sins, and this day I give my heart to Jesus. Jesus, I believe you died for me. God raised you from the grave. And I accept you as my Savior today. Amen. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.